Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcast. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 154. <laughs> Bienvenidos, bitches, and thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we do not hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight. Cis, het, white dudes. What? I guess that's redundant if I say cis, het, and straight. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims. The media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her <laughs> fault. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 935 6294. <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode. Of course. Also, our episode is fruitloopspod.com and use fruitloopspod for all the social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Andrew Philip Cunanan, a Filipino Italian American, best known as the man who killed Gianni Versace. 
But in actuality, he committed a total of five murders, and he was either a spree killer or a serial killer, depending on who you talk to. Okay, well, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm good. I've got uh, nothing much to report right now. Just uh, getting ready for Crime Con. We're uh, getting all our ducks in a row, and that's pretty exciting. That's it. We're yeah. alive. We're breathing. We have what we need, and we're safe. Yes. Now, let's get into some <laughs> listeners. Letters. Well, hello, angels. <laughs> yeah. What's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Page 87 for your five-star review. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to also say thank you to Brianna for your email. Oh. Brianna says, messy ass hoes has become a regular saying for her. <laughs> Get into it. Let's yeah. do this, y'all. <laughs> hip-hop air horns to all of you yeah. thank you Paige and thank you Brianna no uh, new Patreons this week um, but uh, if you're interested uh, check out our Patreon page go to our Instagram or go to our website to find out how maybe we've got something that uh, works for you we got bonus episodes we got bonus content um, oh episodes with no commercials yeah early episodes, you know, you know, and when more to come as we grow. But thank you to all of our current supporters. We're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? <laughs> uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do that in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? 
heard of it? Why, yes, I have. (laughs) I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. (laughs) Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. (laughs) There is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we're back. Let's do this. Who is our subject today, Beth? Today we're talking about Andrew Philip Cunanan, a gay man and spree killer, or serial murderer, who killed four men as he moved across the U.S. before killing fashion designer Gianni Versace. That's a lot of murders. Now let's get into some stats. So, Cunanan was a gay American man, as Beth said, of Filipino and Italian descent. He had several AKAs, among them Andrew Da Silva and Drew Cunningham. He had five victims. They were all males with uh, different MOs for each one. His victims were Rest in Power Kings, Jeffrey Trail, 28, David Madsen, 33, Lee Miglin, 72, William Reese, 45, and Gianni Versace was 50. So now it's time to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, we thought for this episode, we'd focus on Cunanan's background as a child of a Filipino immigrant, the 90s and HIV. Cunanan's father was, as we said, a Filipino immigrant. Uh, The nation of the Philippines consists of over 7,000 islands and is inhabited by over 100 million people. People have been living there for over 30,000 years. It has a vast history, which would be impossible to get into in the time (laughs) we have today. But mm. here's a little taste, Fruit Loop style. <laughs> That's right. So the Philippines, officially known as the Republic of the Philippines, is a multinational state with diverse ethnicities and cultures throughout its islands. Prior to colonization, theft, rape, and pillaging by Europeans, yeah. it was referred to as Mayi. Uh, no place is perfect, but for the most part, they were minding their beeswax mostly in peace. Some of the archipelago's earliest inhabitants are the Negritos, a name which refers to a range of populations which are characterized by small size, dark skin, and frizzy hair. These people were followed by successive waves of Austronesian peoples. The arrival of Ferdinand Magellan, a Portuguese explorer leading a fleet for Spain, marked the beginning of Spanish colonization. They decided to name the islands, which, by the way, already had a name, Las (laughs) Filipinas. After, I mean, Filipinas, not Filipinas, Filipinas, after King Philip II. The nation remained part of the Spanish Empire for more than 300 years. Cut to the 1800s and the Spaniards had lost their flair. Mm. The people of the Philippines had been fighting colonial rule since its arrival. Around this time, the United States was expanding the mainland and thought, why not keep this expansion and conquering party going? Am I right? Oh, no, bitch. At <laughs> uh, some point, you need to stop this shit. But around 1898, we get to the Spanish-American War, which was an armed conflict between the U.S. and Spain and began after an American ship exploded in Cuba. Now, some reports say that the explosion was an accident, but in any case, it led to the U.S. intervention in the Cuban War of Independence. The United States said they wanted to liberate the Cuban people, but it didn't work out 
out for the U.S. in Cuba. So they set their sights on other areas in the Caribbean and Pacific to liberate, including Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines from Spain. And liberate is in quotes. Yes. Quote unquote, liberate. Very bold, dark, <laughs> liberate quotes. Uh, anyway, when the U.S. arrived in the Philippines and became involved in the Filipino revolution, they saw Filipino people fighting the Spaniards and were like, hey, Philippines, great news. We're here to liberate you. <laughs> and the people in the Philippines who, again, had been fighting the Spaniards for hundreds of years and were sick of their shit said, you know what, USA? If you want to help us with these colonizing, thieving-ass, pillaging assholes, sure. The United States saw the Philippines as a commercial and strategic hub that would give them an advantage globally. But they told Americans stateside and the people of the Philippines that it was all about freedom and liberation oh, so yeah. that they would go along with it. And that kind of reminds me of a little thing that's going on in Ukraine right now. Ukraine, the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. uh, I can think of so many examples. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so towards the end of the Spanish rule in the Philippines, the Spanish commander said he would be willing to surrender on only one condition. They would only surrender to white people mm. and not to the Filipino people. Now, this worked, the, horrific statement to say out loud. Yeah. This worked out great for the U.S. and Spanish militaries. They organized a fake battle that the Spanish would lose, WWE style. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> then the U.S. troops marched their blindingly white behinds to the walled <laughs> capital city. <laughs> I just pictured these, these super white butts. You know, like, you know how it's like springtime right now and other people are wearing shorts and yes. people, some people need to, to not do that because their <laughs> legs are so, so white, blinding. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mentioned their butts to be like as they marched. <laughs> There, they wouldn't allow the Filipinos who were fighting with them the whole time to join them in the quote-unquote victory. Mm, mm, mm. And Shame another thing, Spain asked the U.S. to pay them $20 million for their troubles. And the U.S. said, say less, get me my checkbook. And they paid them. Yes, <laughs> and say less. <laughs> so to add to the propaganda, the U.S. staged a fake-ass military parade in New York for liberating all these brown people. <laughs> and they dropped loads of soap to give to the oh Filip people, Filipino people and framed it as civilizing slash brightening the dark corners of the earth in the news and advertisements. Wow. Look, the that, news is racist. That is something. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than acknowledge the Philippines Declaration of Independence, they annexed the Philippines under the Treaty of Paris to end the Spanish-American War. This led to the Philippine-American War. It was a horrible war. It included the massacre of men, women, and children by the U.S., but the U.S. won and established a government. This is a war that is often forgotten, and I was uh, today years old when I learned about it. Yep, brand yeah. new news to me. Did not know um, about that one. Yeah. Uh, in December 1941, Pearl Harbor was bombed. We all know about that. But on the same day, Japan also bombed Guam and the Philippines, as well as several other American and British territories. After that, Japan fully invaded the Philippines until the end of World War II. Um, and again, 
today years old when I learned this. <laughs> the Republic of the Philippines was finally granted independence in 1946. But even after the Philippines was recognized as a sovereign state nation in 1946, the United States retained control through unequal agreements that benefited the United States and its citizens at the expense of the Filipinos. Following a 1947 military bases agreement, or MBA, between the two countries, the United States exerted control through its military bases, two of which would become the American military's largest overseas bases. In 1992, the Philippine Senate failed to ratify an extension of the MBA, which was set to expire, although some claim that the Philippines kicked out the U.S. military, finally exerting sovereignty over its former colonial overlord. That's a tongue twister. United States forces never really left. <laughs> it's like they're squatters. Yeah. Get out of my house. Uh, so it's it's like that worst, the worst that neighbor ever on Netflix. The worst, yeah, that that's exactly guy. what I was thinking. He's like, this is my house now. I know. What the fuck? No, it's not. Instead, they remain in the Philippines on a visiting basis rather than having a permanent physical presence. This quote unquote visiting presence was due to the 1998 Visiting Forces Agreement or VFA, which outlined the rights and responsibilities of the United States regarding American military personnel in the Philippines. Although Filipino judges ruled that the VFA was constitutional, controversy continued to surround it and U.S. military personnel in the Philippines. Uh, and uh, it should. This yeah. is some bullshit. So the significance of the VFA con con controversy became clear after several high-profile criminal cases, including the 2006 alleged rape of a Filipina with the pseudonym Nicole by U.S. serviceman Daniel Smith and the 2014 murder of Jennifer Laudy, a transgender Filipina by U.S. serviceman Joseph Pemberton. There was an argument over which country maintained custody of the accused before, during, and after their trials, and which country could dictate the terms of their detainment. The VFA theoretically covered such eventualities, but ambiguities enabled U.S. officials to detain Smith, even though Philippine officials requested custody. Wow. Scholars have argued that U.S. overseas military bases are arms of an informal empire. Yes, indeed. Somebody needed to say it. <laughs> Because of the power imbalance between the U.S. and most host nations. And the imbalance is even more pronounced in the Philippines due to its former colonial history. Filipinos argue that the Philippines continues to be subservient to the United States, despite being a sovereign nation state for almost 50 fucking years. Yeah. So uh, let's cut to the crimes committed by Andrew Cunanan, which occurred over three months in 1997. At that time, Bill Clinton was president. He banned research on human cloning, and he apologized to the surviving victims of the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in black males and their families. Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear, <laughs> and Mary Kay Letourneau was sentenced to six months in prison for two counts of second-degree rape. And the biggest crime of that year was the release of James Cameron's Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Notorious B.I.G. was killed in a drive-by shooting, and 39 Heaven's Gate cultists committed mass suicide at their compound. Timothy McVeigh was convicted of 15 counts of murder and conspiracy for the Oklahoma City City bombing, and 
he was sentenced to death. In 1991, the red ribbon became an international symbol of AIDS awareness. By 1994, it was the leading cause of death for all Americans, ages 25 to 44. And um, this was uh, early 90s, so part of this is Ronald Reagan's fault. The rate of death would not slow significantly until 1997, when combination therapy approaches were developed. And that time, it was estimated that 30 million adults and children worldwide had HIV, and that 16,000 people were newly affected with the virus each day. Wow. That, that is an epidemic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1998, the CDC reported that African Americans accounted for 49% of U.S. AIDS-related deaths. Wow. Remember all the campaigns on TV and the commercials encouraging Black people to get tested. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. Hey, we live in different Americas, yeah. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Racism, HIV stigma, homophobia, poverty, and barriers to healthcare continue to drive these disparities to this day. Around the time of Kunan and Spree, the FDA began to provide more testing for HIV and HIV therapy, and treatment became more available. Also at this time, there were celebrities who were public with their diagnosis, including Magic Johnson, Arthur Ashe, Pedro from the real world, Freddie Mercury, and rapper Eazy-E both died of AIDS-related illnesses. So now we're going to get into uh, Cunanan's early life. Hit it, Beth. Andrew Philip Cunanan was born in National City, California, on August 31st, 1969, to Modesto Cunanan, a Filipino man who went by the name Pete, and Marianne Skilachi. Pete Cunanan emigrated to America from the Philippines and served in the U.S. Navy for 19 years before retiring and becoming a stockbroker. He then worked for such firms as Merrill Lynch and Prudential Bosch. Marianne has said that when she met Pete, she was swept off her feet. She said, quote, he was dressed in a white tuxedo and I thought he looked like a Filipino Errol Flynn, hmm. unquote. I don't know what that means. Pete Cunanan was 11 years older than Marianne. A close co-worker of Pete said that he had expensive tastes mm, and that he had a pattern of spending beyond his means. And there are reports that he was abusive to Marianne. Marianne was an Italian immigrant and a devout Catholic. She worked as a telephone operator in San Diego. Uh, Not sure if this was before her marriage or what, but in any case, um, she was also a homemaker who doted on her four children, Regina, Elena, Christopher, and Andrew. Andrew was the youngest. After his birth, Marianne struggled for a while with postpartum depression and had to be hospitalized for three months. Her religious beliefs had a strong influence over Andrew, who read the Bible, became an altar boy, and considered becoming a priest at one point. Andrew reportedly had an IQ of 147. Wow. Yeah, he Smarty was pants. pretty bright. Mm-hmm. As a child, instead of playing with other children, he spent a lot of time indoors reading the Bible and encyclopedias. Behavior encouraged by his mother, cultivating in him the idea that he was different and better than the other kids. He attended the Bishop's School in La Jolla, California, a private school where most of the other students came from families that were much wealthier than his. So La Jolla is a hoity-toity area of yeah. San Diego. Yeah. And then on top of that, he goes to this rich-ass school 
school, which right. apparently like diplomats kids went to. Mm-hmm. Wow. So anyway, Andrew was given preferential treatment amongst his siblings, and he was the only one of his siblings to attend this prestigious and expensive private school. Pete paid him a lot of attention and passed his expensive tastes onto his son. He reportedly got whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. He oh. was allowed to occupy the master bedroom in the family home. and what? they Yeah. <laughs> and they bought him a sports car uh some sources say that he was 12 at the time (laughs) the other one said he was 14 but he he did not have his driver's license jesus fucking christ (laughs) wow and andrew's older siblings jokingly referred to him as prince andrew (laughs) in the 90s that had a completely different context than it does in 2022 (laughs) yeah so at any rate at a very early age, Andrew developed a sense of entitlement. His parents granted him special privileges without really holding him accountable to anything. And he learned to love the finer things in life without ever learning how to achieve them. According to his brother, Christopher, quote, he was my father's pride and joy, unquote. In order to fit into his elite private school, Andrew made up stories about his background. He bragged that his father was Filipino royalty and Mm. claimed that his paternal family owned a pineapple plantation. (laughs) (laughs) Later in life, Cunanan would claim that his father was an Israeli millionaire or that he was a Mossad agent. Mossad is a national intelligence agency in Israel, like the CIA. Oh, okay. Or sometimes his dad was an aristocrat. You know, take your pick. Uh, Take your pick. It's not like Google's around. You can't fact check me. Uh, He also often changed his appearance. A former classmate described him as the most status conscious person he'd ever met. Quote, he always pretended to have more than he did, but I always knew it wasn't true. It was a fantasy, unquote. In high school, he was out of the closet to his friends and was described as flamboyantly gay. One friend said that he was over the top, uh, but I think she meant just his personality was over the top, but that he could get away with it because he was very funny and, quote, you couldn't help but like him, unquote. Hmm. It was at school that he met his lifelong friend, Elizabeth Coate, who later made Andrew his daughter's godfather. He reportedly enjoyed playing with the child and making dollhouses. That's cool. Andrew Cunanan, who has been described as exotically good-looking, spent most of his adult life as the kept companion of wealthy older men, living a very expensive lifestyle in San Diego that was far beyond his own means. And he boasted about having multiple sugar daddies. I can't I get that. I wish. I know. Uh, His prolific and pathological lying has led many to believe that he showed early signs of antisocial personality disorder, previously referred to as psychopathy or sociopathy. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com
24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. <laughs> As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to get into the timeline. What the what, Beth? Cunanan graduated from high school in 1987, and he was voted the most likely to be remembered. His yearbook page included the words, Après moi, le déluge, meaning after me, the flood, which is generally regarded as a nihilistic expression of indifference to whatever happens after one is gone. Oh, uh, so he then went to the University of California in San Diego and majored in history, but he dropped out two years later. By the time he was 19, he had become a frequent nighttime patron at local gay bars and restaurants. He started using the last name De Silva, the name of a prominent an art collector, maybe to hide his Filipino roots. During this time, his mother found out that he was gay, something other members of his family had known about but had never really acknowledged. Kunanan and his mother reportedly got into a physical altercation after she found out that he was gay. One report said that he threw her against the wall and dislocated her shoulder. Andrew and Marianne had a close yet complicated relationship. Marianne has said that she and her son talked a lot and she leaned on him. She once told a reporter, quote, Andrew was my marriage counselor. We would take walks around the block together and he would explain things to me. Oh, jeez, that's that is fucked up. <laughs> not a good thing to do <laughs> yeah. to your child. No. Uh, she told Larry King in an interview on his show that her son was beautiful, intelligent, handsome, bright, and gifted. So it sounds like to me like she was kind of subservient to him, you know, the way she said he would explain things to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, it's yeah, kind of a weird relationship. I, I, I'll say, I mean, I, I'm without words. Weird, yeah. weird sounds appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Despite his close relationship with Marianne, he reinvented his mother when talking about her to others. 
just like he did with his father. Apparently, Mm. he told one friend that when he had a problem, he'd go to her, but that she was so consumed, so consumed by high society lady duties and an upcoming fashion show (laughs) that she shunned him and he felt excluded. Oh, my. Uh, (laughs) You know what? That is interesting. I know that when I moved to a new place or started a new school or moved to a new city or new college, the idea of reinventing yourself, it was easier, right? Back in the day, especially since people couldn't look you up online. True. Um, But this is extra. This is extra. Yeah. And and keeping track of all the lies. Right. Exactly. Which, which friend did you tell what to, you know? Like I remember I told my, a bunch of friends, my parents died and then they show up at parents weekend. (laughs) Sorry. uh, I forgot about that one. (laughs) So uh, he also, he also told some people that he came from a Jewish family or that his father owned a home on the Riviera. Sometimes he claimed to be half Jewish, Portuguese and half Italian. He also told people that he served in the Israeli army (laughs) at times. laughing no man at times he claimed that he had an ex-wife and a young daughter and he showed people pictures to back it up i wonder if it was the pictures of his friend elizabeth right the goddaughter yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. i bet it was yeah yeah in 1988, Kunanen's father, Pete, was accused of misappropriating $106,000 from his stock brokerage business. Uh-oh. Yeah. Pete then fled the country and returned to the Philippines to avoid charges. He took almost all the money that the family had and sold the house from under them. So he took what? everything. Yeah, I think oh my God. somebody said that um, all that was left was like $700. That's it. <gasps> Oh, no. So his abrupt departure left his wife destitute, forcing her to live off of his Navy pension for a time. But when Pete stopped even sending that to her, she lived on food stamps. Marianne was a devout Catholic, never divorced her husband, although she did once file the paperwork. At this point, Cunanan either moved to San Francisco for a time or he traveled there a lot. In any case, he became a regular fixture in the nightlife at the Castro District, a gay neighborhood in San Francisco, befriending wealthy older men. It's been reported that he engaged in sex work and also took an interest in creating S&M pornography. Additionally, he was reportedly using drugs. Doing drugs! Uh, so, in 1990, Kunanen claims to have met Gianni Versace at a San Francisco nightclub called Colossus. Kunanen was allegedly recognized by Versace from a party at his house on Lake Como. Whether Kunanen had ever actually been to Lake Como is unknown, but he took the recognition and used it to his advantage in his social circles, dropping Versace's name frequently. Or this encounter never happened. We don't know. Kunan was a pathological liar, so there's really no way of knowing for sure. Yeah, that's the only thing I know about Andrew Cunanan, really, for sure, is that he was a pathological he's a, liar. He's, yeah, he's a liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in 1994, Cunanan met Norman Blatchford at a party. Norman was a 58-year-old businessman who lived in Scottsdale, Arizona. Cunanan impressed Norman, a lover of art and music, with his extensive knowledge of the arts. Norman also liked that Cunanan, who had made a name for himself among the wealthy gay elite of San Diego, was able to introduce him into La Jolla and San Diego society. My understanding is that these wealthy older men found Cunanan charming, not just because of his looks, but because of his encyclopedic knowledge and his ability to fit into high society. I read that when he met 
met a man that he wanted to cultivate, he would find out all about him and study up on his interests so that he could give good conversation. And it, it wasn't all about sex. That makes sense when we get to the la- like the later part of the story, right. the Versace murder, knowing his knowing so much about him that he knew his schedule. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was going to say, this is Anna Delvey before Anna Delvey. Yeah, you feel me? Yeah, this is, uh, this is the gay male he, version of Anna yeah, Delvey. I mean, yeah. man, for sure. Uh, uh, so anyway, Cunanan convinced Blatchford to buy a house in La Jolla. Norman allowed Cunanan to live there and began providing him with a $2,500 a month allowance, a fancy car to drive and vacations to New York City and the south of France. Wow. <laughs> Cunanan spent lavishly on his friends and bragged about his travels. Hmm. Once Cunanan moved out of his mother's apartment to live with Norman, Marianne moved to Illinois to be close to her two eldest children. There, she lived on public assistance. The relationship with Norman was going fine until 1996, when Cunanan began making more demands of Norman, such as a new Mercedes and a bigger allowance. At least one source said that Norman also found out that Cunanan had been lying to him about a lot of things and was tired of his shit. (laughs) (laughs) You better calm down. So in any case, Norman dumped him. Cunanan was then without support and was virtually penniless, having never held a regular job. And his mother was living on public assistance in Illinois, and his father was in the Philippines. He moved into a friend's condo and allegedly began dealing drugs to support himself. He went into a downward spiral, suffering from depression, weight gain, and a loss of interest in his personal appearance, which is very unusual. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I mean, he was a handsome guy. Yeah, Uh, and he, he he really did care about that kind of uh, stuff. How he so. looked. Yeah, 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 how he looked. Um, in April of 1997, Cunanan told his friends that he was moving to San Francisco and threw himself a going away party. However, <laughs> what he'd actually done is bought himself a one-way ticket to Minneapolis after begging his credit card company to extend his credit limit. He did tell some friends that he was flying to Minneapolis for the weekend to settle some business with an old friend named Jeffrey Trail. Jeff Trail was from Illinois. He He was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis and a Gulf War veteran. He has been described as an upbeat, fun-loving, compassionate man. He was pursuing a career with the California Highway Patrol before switching gears and then moving to Minneapolis for a job. The job was as a district manager at a gas company where he could finally be openly gay and he didn't have to lie about who he was like he did in the military and he would have had to do if he was in the Highway Patrol. Yeah. Minneapolis surprised me when I went there, just how um, diverse it was as far as BIPOC and LGBTQ. Like it was, it's almost like it didn't belong in the Midwest. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, uh, Cunanan and Jeff Trail had once been very good friends. They met in San Diego when Jeff was stationed there while he was in the Navy. Cunanan reportedly described Trail as his best friend and quote, my brother, unquote. But Jeff's family has said that Cunanan had an unhealthy obsession with Jeff and that he appeared to be trying hard to emulate him. <gasps> Talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of Jeff's sisters, Lisa, told the New York Times, quote, when Jeff got a haircut, Andrew had to have the exact same haircut. When mm. Jeff went to San Francisco and got a certain style of baseball cap, Andrew had to go to San Francisco and get the very same cap. When Jeff grew a goatee, Andrew grew a goatee, unquote. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that that is that's... some uh single white female stuff. 
Oh, now that's a new one. Um, oh, you never heard of that movie, Single White Female? No. No, I never actually watched it. I just know about it. A woman gets a roommate and mm-hmm. the roommate starts uh, imitating her, like everything she does. And then, Does she kill her? Uh, I don't know, because I didn't watch the movie. But, oh, okay. But uh, the threat is there. So mm. I, th- I think she at least tried to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it? I mean, this is also, uh, I mean, this is how he gets close to people is by sort of um, imitating wealth, imitating status. Yeah, Um, and copying them and, and, mm -hmm. yeah, pretending to be just like them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But a rift had formed between the two men when Cunanan reportedly pushed Jeff Oh, I thought he was going to push him down the stairs. Push <laughs> Jeff to join him in selling drugs, and Jeff refused. According to Jeff's friend, Michael Williams, Jeff, quote, never wished to see Cunanan again, unquote. And although Jeff knew Cunanan was coming to Minneapolis for a visit, he wasn't looking forward to it. Cunanan's ex-boyfriend, David Madsen, also lived in Minneapolis. David Madsen was an up-and-coming architect who was very well-liked by his friends and colleagues. He was from Wisconsin, but had moved to Minneapolis for his job. David and Cunanan had met on a night out in San Francisco in 1995. He and Cunanan then had a long-distance relationship for a while, but it didn't work out, and David had tried to distance himself from Cunanan. But Cunanan was reportedly still in love with David. Even though they had only briefly dated and most of it was long distance, Cunanan still referred to David as, quote, the love of my life, unquote. And Cunanan still kept David's picture taped to his refrigerator door. According to Cunanan's former roommate, Eric Greenman, quote, David was Andrew's life. He said many, many times that he would give up everything to move out to Minneapolis for David, unquote. There has been speculation that Cunanan went to Minneapolis on this weekend for an attempt to rekindle that relationship. Jeff Trail and David Madsen knew each other and were friends, but nothing more. In 1997, David was in a serious relationship with a man named Rob Davis, and the couple was in the process of buying a house in D.C. where Rob lived and David traveled to frequently for work. On Friday, April 25th, 1997, David's boyfriend Rob was in D.C. for the weekend. David picked up Cunanan from the Minneapolis airport when he arrived from San Diego, and they had dinner with some of David's friends. According to the friends who were there, David was uneasy during the meal. The next day, a Saturday, David and Cunanan went clubbing. We be clubbing. Then <laughs> split up when David went back to his apartment and Cunanan went to Jeff Trail's apartment without Jeff, who was out of town, but he had left a key for Cunanan under the doormat. On Sunday, April 27th, Cunanan returned to David's apartment. That evening, Jeff showed up at David's apartment, some reports say at Cunanan's behest. The details of what happened after that are still unknown. What is known is that a neighbor heard someone yell, get the fuck out. The sounds of someone striking a wall and then running water. On Tuesday, April 29th, two of David's colleagues went to his apartment after he failed to show up at work for two days in a row, which was very unusual. Rob had also been trying to call David with no luck, which was not like David at all, as he was normally very responsive to his calls. The colleagues knocked on David's door, but nobody answered. They heard noises in the apartment. David did have a dog, but one colleague also said she thought people were whispering, so they called police. However, police told them that they would have to break down the door, and if David's dog Prince became aggressive, they would have to shoot it. 
So rather than risking that, Madsen's co-workers called the superintendent of the apartment building to open the door, which she did. Inside, the superintendent found blood on the floor and the walls of the apartment and a rolled up rug with legs sticking out of the bottom. She ran out and the police were called again. When police arrived to investigate the scene, they believed that the body in the rolled up area rug was that of David Madsen. The body was not extracted from the rolled up rug at the scene, but rather sent to the coroner for autopsy as is. Investigators began questioning friends and neighbors for information about who could have killed David. They learned that David had a restraining order against an ex-boyfriend, and he had been seen near David's apartment the week before the murder, so he became a suspect. Police also discovered that the keys to David's Jeep and his Jeep were missing, so they assumed that whoever killed David had stolen it and fled the scene. The autopsy was done the next morning, a Wednesday. The carpet was unrolled, and a wallet was found with the body. Surprising investigators, the ID in the wallet was for Jeff Trail, not David Madsen, and a tattoo on the left leg also matched a tattoo on Jeff's leg. Uh-oh. The identity of the body was confirmed when fingerprints were matched to those that were on file for Jeff, taken when he was in the military. It was learned during the autopsy that Jeff had been beaten to death with a claw hammer. Yikes. His head face and upper torso had sustained 27 blows. Wow. His watch was stopped at 9.55 p.m. So Sunday night, he'd probably okay. been killed uh, about 9.55 p.m. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. My name is Bill Huffman. And I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? <sighs> Download American Vigilante now. Got 
got it. it. Why would your watch stop when you die? Um, I, I think the hammer hit it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, what a what, what well, amazing no, no, a watch. Smart watch. <laughs> yeah. In Talk the about 90s? a smart watch. That's yeah. <laughs> kind of success. Wow. Police learned that Jeff Trail had been reported missing on April 29th. The next conclusion that they made was that David Madsen, who was still missing, had murdered Jeff Trail. Although David's apartment was rife with evidence, including the murder weapon, police reportedly totally fucked up the investigation. Mm, not surprising. I always say these messy ass hoes. Uh, so, for example, they found a gym bag containing drugs, porn, and bullets, but couldn't determine who the bag belonged to until much later when it was pointed out that Kunanan's name was written on the motherfucking <laughs> bag. They also overlooked a toiletry bag that belonged to Kunanan and a pair of size 36 jeans covered in blood. David Ward size 32, you dumb hoes. <laughs> these were not found until two months after the murder. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> but friends and neighbors told investigators about a man named Andrew who had been visiting David. They learned that the man who had been visiting was Kunanan and called his roommate in San Diego. Kunanan's roommate told them that Kunanan was supposed to return from Minneapolis on Monday, but he'd never showed up. The roommate told investigators that David and Kunanan had at one point in time been in a long-distance relationship, and the two were into S&M. Police wondered if this was some sort of S&M game gone wrong, and if David Madsen had also killed Kunanan. They searched David's apartment again, and this time found an empty gun holster. David was not known to own a gun, but Jeff Trail did, and they learned from friends that Jeff Trail's gun was missing from his house. It was now assumed that not only was David a murderer, but that he was also armed. But they also took a deeper look into Kunanan. They contacted his credit card company who told them that he had $20,000 worth of debt on his maxed out credit card. And police discovered he had only bought a one-way ticket to Minneapolis. So he apparently never really planned to go back to San Diego. They then began to suspect Kunanan was somehow involved. But the mystery became clear the following Saturday, May 3rd, when fishermen discovered a body on the shore of Rush Lake near Rush City, Minnesota. It was David Madsen. Mm. He'd been shot three times with the gun owned by Jeff Trail, twice in the head and once in the back. He had apparently been dragged to the lakeshore from somewhere else. Authorities don't really know what Kunanan and Madsen did between Trail's death and Madsen mur Madsen's murder or what exactly Kunanan did after killing Madsen. They weren't even sure exactly when or where Madsen had died. The New York Times has reported that on Monday, April 28th, the day after Jeff Trail's murder, David Madsen's neighbors saw him and Kunanan walking David's dog, Prince. Between the Tuesday and the Friday after Trail's death, someone reported seeing David's red Jeep Cherokee driving north on Interstate 35, but the witness did not see the driver's face. This is a small detail, but it sounds like we're saying the dog's name is Prince, like the artist like formerly Prince known Andrew. as. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. Prince Andrew, yeah. But it's Prince, P-R-I-N-T-S. like Which um, is really cute. Like like Paw Prince. Paw Prince. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it now. Okay, yeah. You win. So we do know <laughs> that David's Jeep was parked at a Chicago parking garage from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, April 30th, one day after Jeff Trail's body was discovered. And three days before, David Madsen's would be found 450 miles away. He travels fast. <laughs> 
It's unclear whether David and Kunanan were together in Chicago on Wednesday, when or where David was killed, or when David's body was left on the shore of Rush Lake. Even though Madsen's time of death was originally recorded as Friday, May 2nd, there is evidence that suggests he died earlier than that. David Madsen's family believes that David walked in on the murder of Jeff Trail and that Kunanen then took him as a hostage as a result. In any case, Kunanen was in Chicago on May 4th when he killed 72-year-old Lee Miglin, a prominent Chicago real estate developer. Lee's body was found in his garage, tucked under a car, and obstructed by a trash can. He'd been bound at the wrists and ankles, his head had been wound with masking tape, and a gardening glove had been shoved into his mouth. All of his ribs had been broken. All of them. Yeah. He'd been tortured with four stabs to the chest. Um, I've heard with gardening shears or a screwdriver, two different variations. Yeah, either way, horrible. Yeah. And his throat had been cut open with a gardening saw. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Cook County warrant states that the killer murdered Miglin, quote, by bounding him, beating him, stabbing him, and slashing his throat, unquote. According to friends, the autopsy revealed no sexual molestation. When David Madsen's Jeep was found parked and abandoned nearby, Kunanen became the main suspect. That's a horrific death. Um, yeah. Death. For a seven, 72-year-old man. Oh, my. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So at the time of his death, Lee had been married for almost 40 years, and he and his wife, Marilyn, had two children. Marilyn was successful in her own right as a longtime host on the Home Shopping Network. She has been referred to as the queen of makeovers due to her business, Marilyn Miglin Cosmetics. The murder occurred while Marilyn was out of town on a business trip. It's been widely speculated that Lee Miglin was a closeted gay man who Cunanan ran to after committing the first two murders. However, no connection has ever been made between Cunanan and Lee Miglin, and his family and friends have always denied any connection. Mark Jerisic, former Miglin Beatler Company vice president, said, quote, I think Andrew Cunanan was pure evil. It was a frenzy at that point, and the rumors were even worse, trying to tie Lee Miglin to Andrew Cunanan, unquote. According to Duke Miglin, Lee and Marilyn's son, quote, some of his crimes were simply crimes of opportunity. I've never seen any credible evidence to show that there was a relationship. A lot of false things were brought up and they were very hurtful, very painful for me personally. And there were attacks on me as well that I really didn't appreciate. And I still don't. End quote. Now, to me, it seems really irresponsible to report as a fact that there was a connection. Speculate all you want. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But it's not a proven fact. And to claim that it is, is hurtful to his friends and family. Uh, Not not because Cunanan is gay, but because Mm -hmm. it's a form of victim blaming and a sullying of character. Mm -hmm. I would argue that if the perpetrator had been female, and it was reported as a fact that the two had a relationship, and that's why he was killed, Mm -hmm. it would have been just as hurtful for the family. Yeah. Or imagine if the victim had been female and uh, was killed by a male serial killer, and the press reported that she was killed because the two had a secret relationship. Yeah. But there was no evidence to back that up. Right. And um, as part of my uh, research, I tried to watch (laughs) American Crime Story, (laughs) the assassination of Gianni Versace. Now, normal American Crime Story is very good. Very good. Yeah. This one sucked. (laughs) Oh, no. The, The connection between the two was presented as 
was a fact. They even had like phone calls between them and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. and other speculative things uh, were presented as facts. And it, it really irritated me. Yeah, it's uh, you're right. I, victim blaming, and which is gross and irresponsible. Um, yeah. But we're not real journalists, but the people who are shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, officials concluded that it was a crime of opportunity while Miglin was cleaning his garage. After the murder, Cunanan went into the family's home, ate a ham sandwich yeah. and some ice cream, <laughs> took a bath, shaved and rested. That is sick. Yeah. Uh, so he then stole a gold coin collection, some clothes and about $10,000 in cash, which whoa who keeps that in their house Rich and then <laughs> oh, man i can only imagine yeah he, t- he took i've never one- seen that much money. i don't i don't i've never ever never in my never seen it dreams. in my bank account nope, never nope, seen nope, it in cash nope. never seen I it just- on a check wow uh so he took miglin's car and again fled the scene wow $10,000 in cash. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Cunanan was in New Jersey when investigators fucked up yet again. Oh, it, boy. <laughs> it was leaked to the press that Cunanan's movements were being tracked through a signal sent out by the car phone in Lee's stolen Lexus. So Cunanan murdered yet another victim for another vehicle. Mm, William Reese, 45, was a cemetery caretaker at the Finns Point National Cemetery. When William didn't t- make it home for dinner that night, his wife went to look for him at his office and found him dead in the basement. It appears that Cunanan shot him to death in order to steal his 1995 red Chevrolet pickup truck. And Lee Miglin's Lexus was found abandoned in the parking lot. The FBI got involved in the search for Cunanan when William Reese was murdered. This homicide was a federal crime rather than a state crime because it took place in the Finns Point National Cemetery, which as the name suggests, is a national cemetery. Oh! Yeah. I heard about that on uh, Jerry Williams' podcast. She was interviewing a FBI guy who was on, in on this uh, search for Cunanan. Oh, wow! Yeah. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. When news of Cunanan's killing spree began to spread, his friends and acquaintances reportedly went into hiding to avoid running into him and potentially becoming his next victim. Makes sense. But good news. The FBI is involved now. <laughs> Well, now we're going to get into the investigation. So meanwhile, Cunanan made his way to Miami, eventually taking up residence for nearly two months at the Normandy Plaza Hotel, about four miles north of Gianni Versace's mansion in the South Beach neighborhood of Miami. The hotel's night manager said Cunanan paid in cash and would often change his appearance, possibly even wearing wigs to alter the way he looked. On July 7th, Cunanan went to a pawn shop in Miami to pawn a gold coin, one of the coins in Lee Miglin's collection that he'd stolen. He showed identification, including his real passport. Dummy. And on a required form, he wrote his real name and current address, the Normandy Plaza Hotel, room 205. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. And there's been speculation that he was actually trying to get caught or, you know, it was kind of like a thrill. Oh, I don't know. But okay, he did do that. And he also provided a print of his right thumb. Mm. And as was the law, a copy of the receipt was mailed to the Miami Beach Police Department. But this information went unnoticed by the police. Of course. So uh, Cunanan was featured multiple times on the TV show America's Most Wanted. Uh, And on July 11th, the cashier at Miami Subs Grill called 911 to report that Cunanan was in the shop waiting for his food and that he had seen him on America's Most Wanted. But by the time the police got there... Kunanan had left with his food. (laughs) I like that sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) On June 12th, 1997, Andrew Kunanan was put on the FBI's 10 most wanted list and Kunanan became one of America's most wanted fugitives. That is crazy. You remember, I mean, we used to watch that show. Did it come on every week? I think it was every Sunday, wasn't it? I I, Or or Saturday. It was the weekend. I'm I'm pretty sure that it came on. But yeah, that was like we don't huddle list. around, yep. you know. Yep. Like I, I was ooh. like, oh, I want to catch somebody. I know. Yeah, <laughs> never did though. Never did. Oh no. man. <laughs> so uh, early in the morning on July fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven, world famous fashion designer Gianni Versace had just come home from a walk to buy a newspaper when he was shot in the back of the head twice on the front steps of his Miami Beach mansion. Witnesses saw the man who shot him run into a nearby parking garage. But again, by the time police arrived, he was gone. In the parking garage, investigators found William Reese's stolen pickup truck with a pile of discarded clothes lying next to it. In the truck, they found all kinds of personal items, including a personal check, a passport, newspaper clippings about his past murders, and a pawn shop ticket. The FBI turned to Cunanan's longtime friend, Elizabeth Cote, for help in finding Cunanan. They believe that a plea from Elizabeth might convince Cunanan to turn himself in. In a videotape plea, Elizabeth begged her old friend to remember his goddaughter. She said, quote, the Andrew Cunanan I know is not a violent person. Andrew, wherever you are, please stop what you are doing. You still have a chance to show the entire world the side of you that I and your godchildren know. The time has come for this to end peacefully. Grimmy says she loves her Uncle Monkey and hopes you'll remember that always. Your birthday will soon be here, and the day after, someone else who loves you will be five years old. Please let those days be of relief, unquote. Mm. But Kunanen did not turn himself in. That's a pretty impactful statement. Yeah. I want to turn myself I would, in. Yeah, and I, I don't would even have. know her. I'm like, oh, uh, Uncle Monkey. <laughs> okay. okay. Put the handcuffs on right okay, now. Okay, Grimmy, I'm coming. <laughs> I know, Grimmy. <laughs> oh. uh, so now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Eight days after Versace's murder, a caretaker heard a gunshot while checking in on a seemingly unoccupied houseboat anchored just three miles north of Versace's Miami Beach mansion. He immediately notified police. A SWAT team descended on the houseboat. They tried to make a connection with whoever was in the boat. They suspected it was Kunanen via a bullhorn and the telephone, but there was no response. And after lobbing tear gas into the boat, they swarmed it. Kunanan's body was found in the second floor bedroom of the houseboat. He had shot himself in the head with Jeff Trail's gun, the same gun he had used to kill David Madsen, William Reese, and Gianni Versace. He did not leave behind a suicide note. His body was cremated and sent back to San Diego. 
At first, authorities thought that Cunanan's killing spree had been triggered when he'd contracted HIV and that he was targeting ex-lovers or people who may have given him HIV. But an autopsy showed that Cunanan was HIV negative. Most investigators now believe that he killed Jeff Trail and David Madsen over jealousy, that he killed Lee Miglin and William Reese for their vehicles, and that he killed Versace looking for a final act of fame. Sounds reasonable to me. I mean, as far as... as as far as you know logic behind the case like right, I, right. reasonable, yeah, not not reasonable that, but that sounds the, like a great idea <laughs> is not what i'm not, saying not, not that reasonable no the, it makes the other sense. reasonable yeah. meaning yeah, yeah that that makes yeah. sense <laughs> got it i'm glad we're on the same page so kunana's father <laughs> has always maintained his son's innocence telling the chicago tribune quote he is innocent he is not a homosexual he had a catholic upbringing and was an altar boy i don't believe <laughs> so, yeah. so he was not not gay. <laughs> he was absolutely not. And if we know anything about the Catholic Church, it is that they have a, a completely clean reputation. Oh yeah, of course. Yes. yes. Um. So <laughs> they've they've not been in in, in the news any kind and, of trouble. And we no. can we can just take what this man's saying. He's innocent. He's not a homosexual. <laughs> he is a Catholic. He had a Catholic upbringing. He was an altar boy. And I do not believe what. He, the American police say he did, unquote. Now, normally, I wouldn't give two fucks about what the American police say. However, there is a lot of evidence. Yeah, yeah there's uh, too much evidence. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> In 1999, two years after his son's death, Pete Cunanan arrived in Los Angeles with a Filipino filmmaker determined to make a documentary about the murders, which he believed was an FBI conspiracy. It does not appear that the documentary was ever completed, and we don't know what happened to him after that. But the consensus on the internet is that he is no longer among the living. Cunanan's mother, Marianne, at least at one point thought her son was innocent and the murders had been part of some kind of mafia conspiracy. Uh, She moved back to California and lived out the rest of her life quietly. She died in 2012. The University of Minnesota set up a scholarship in David Madsen's name. All right, that's it for the story. Now it's time for our takes. What are your hot takes, Beth? Lay it on me. Well, I'm going to put on my psychologist's hat. Uh, Ooh, I love it when you do this. Yeah, but please remember, I'm not a psychologist. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I just pretend to be one on a podcast. <laughs> She's my smart friend. <laughs> she reads and stuff. So my guess is that uh, Kunanen had borderline personality disorder or uh-huh. BPD, uh-huh. comorbid with narcissistic personality disorder oh. or NPD. Oh. Okay, comorbid. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Both have cluster B personality disorders, which are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, or unpredictable thinking or behavior. Mm -hmm. NPD is characterized by a sense of entitlement and Mm self-importance, arrogant, egotistical, or haughty behavior, Mm -hmm. lack of empathy, preoccupation with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, Mm -hmm. uh, requiring excessive admiration, you know, you know, yeah, he, narcissism. He checked all of yeah, these boxes. Yeah. Um, but many experts believe that this is an, actually an attempt to deal with an underlying poor sense of self-worth. 
And uh, BPD, or uh, borderline personality disorder, is characterized Uh by consistent changes in behavior, mood, and Mm self-image. Episodes of anger, depression, and anxiety lasting up to a few days are common for people with BPD. Other Mm -hmm. symptoms include extreme fear of abandonment, impulsive behaviors such as unsafe sex or substance abuse, self-harm behavior, or thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's obvious that Kunanen was a narcissist. Yeah. But the reason I think he had BPD is because people with this personality disorder often don't have a real sense of self. Mm -hmm. People with BPD frequently change their opinion of themselves and others and their interests. They often have tumultuous or unstable relationships with others. And this fits Kunan into a T, I think. I think so, too. One study notes that as the severity of NPD increases, so does aggression and difficulty with interpersonal behavior and moral functioning. Oh. In addition to the chaotic emotional life and fears of abandonment associated with BPD, a person with co occurring NPD may also take advantage of or manipulate others while having little empathy for others' concerns. Uh Uh-huh. And I I think that he literally snapped when Norman dumped him. Oh, okay. No longer living this high life in my society. He'd been unmasked. Norman, uh, you know, found out that he was lying to him. Lying, yeah. And he probably knew all the society people by then, and and he could tell all the other men that he's a fraud. Yes, okay. he was getting older. He was Mm -hmm. no longer this young, hot thing. I mean, he wasn't old by any means, but when you're that age... Mm-hmm. You you think you're old, you know? Right. Oh, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I both, know. Both of his parents had moved away, as mm-hmm. had his quote unquote best friend, Jeff, yeah. and his uh-huh. imagined love of his life, David. Right. And if he had BPD, then he had no real sense of self. I have uh-huh. heard it being described as looking into a black void and as an interior agony, which sounds horrible. Oh, my God. Yes, it does. Miserable. Yeah. Uh, So when he went to Minneapolis, he was possibly trying to get back together with David Mm -hmm. and maybe David rejected him. He may have also been jealous of Jeff or Mm -hmm. one source suggested he thought Jeff was trying to turn David away from him, basically ruining his chances with David because he thought the two of them were like, talking about him, which they probably okay. were. In a- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things to say about Kunan. <laughs> yeah. In any case, it appears that Jeff's murder was done in a fit of passion because mm-hmm. he used an unusual weapon, a claw hammer, instead of yes. a gun. So it was yeah. just a, a weapon that was he found, you know, yeah, that yeah. was on hand. Is that the one he tortured too with the screwdriver? No, no oh, that oh, was oh, okay. Lee, that Lee was- Miglin. Okay, got it. So it's been speculated that Kunanen stole Jeff Trail's gun when he was at Jeff's apartment, and then Jeff went to David's apartment to retrieve it. Some think that Kunanen was going to use the gun to kill David, but that he killed Jeff in a fit of passion instead. Mm. We don't know where David was when Jeff was killed. Some say he was present. Others say he was out of the apartment walking his dog. But there's there's really no way of knowing for sure. We don't. We right. just don't know. Yeah. In any case, afterwards, Kunanen probably kept him hostage using the gun. And mm-hmm. then ultimately, he killed David. Yeah. After that, there was nothing left for Kunanen. Right. Yeah. He killed these two men that he was the closest to. Mm-hmm. And he felt rejected. There was he had no money, you know. So yeah, he had nothing that to yeah, live, nothing, nothing to lose. Nothing left. Nothing left to live for. So uh-huh. he went on a spree. 
Mm-hmm. Ending with Gianni Versace because he was a big name and someone Kunanen w- once uh, admired. And mm-hmm. Kunanen was a narcissist who wanted to go out with a flash. Yes. Now, as far as me- Lee Miglin is concerned, mm-hmm. it's possible there was a connection. But I also think it's possible that Kunanen saw this older gentleman in his garage with his Lexus. And Kunanen decided he wanted the Lexus. Oh. Okay. The murder okay. of Lee Miglin did seem kind of personal because um, of the way he was killed. But yeah. Kunanen had a lot of relationships with older men. So Lee could have been a stand in for all and of the older men. he was projecting. Yes. Ah. That, that Kunanen felt that had treated him, him wrong. I mean, uh-huh. how many serial killers, male serial, serial killers, do we see that kill women that they don't know at all for, as stand ins for the actual women in their lives that they yep. want to kill? but can't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are uh, quite often yeah. OG, a true crime <laughs> hello <laughs> and it, it it's been speculated by some that this was truly the only serial killer like murder that he committed <gasps> interesting yeah. okay okay it's interesting that he didn't use the gun which again indicates that it wasn't planned out and he used weapons that he found around him stuff you'd mm-hmm. find in a garage mm-hmm. um so maybe he went into the garage intending to take the car and was surprised by lee or maybe he propositioned lee and lee rejected him uh we don't know I, we'll yeah, know. we, we yeah. really don't um but all interesting ideas and theories yeah for sure. this this was a really interesting case for me to research yeah because uh, yeah, there's so much information out there and uh, yeah this and guy was so, so unusual yeah but and there's a lot of um i mean it's so sensational you yeah know? yeah um, and it, it bothered me how, how many of the documentaries uh, were just about Versace and the other victims were basically mm-hmm. mentioned in passing, you know, like, oh, yeah. Versace, Versace. Oh, and yeah, he killed these other people, too. You he know? killed five other yeah. people. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> the exception yeah. I found was uh, a show called Six Degrees of Murder. Uh, which I had never oh. heard of before. And it was really good. And it focused oh. mostly on the other victims. And that's where I got a lot of the personal information about. So the only one I didn't find much information about was uh, William Reese. And that was the, the groundskeeper. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And finally, uh-huh. uh, American mm-hmm. Crime Story, the assassination Uh-oh. of Gianni Versace, as I mentioned before, is garbage. <laughs> yeah, Don't watch basura. it. <laughs> it's full of bullshit <laughs> and inaccuracies. And I found yeah. out a little late to the party that it's based on a book by Maureen Orth called Vulgar Favors. And I okay. guess a lot of people find her book problematic and homophobic. Mm, and I listened okay. to a book review on it on a podcast called The Stacks, which was really mm-hmm. good. And Uh it was really interesting. Apparently, the TV show is supposed to make you come to the conclusion that Kunanen did this all because of homophobia. But honestly, I found the show to be kind of homophobic. Interesting. <laughs> because wow. well, what I found objectionable was the way, th- well, th- th- all the inaccuracies that they presented as facts. Uh-huh. And then they did their best to make Kunanen look like a big weirdo, like just this kinky sex weirdo, you know? Okay. And okay. I think it, it's not based on factual information. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just because he was gay, you know, wow. and, and okay. what I got out of it was not apparently what they intended, because <laughs> <laughs> I felt like the moral of the story seemed to be that uh, this is what happens to you if you're gay, you become oh. a, you become a big fat weirdo serial killer or a victim. 
Um, oh. And don't get me wrong, Kunanen was weird, but yeah. uh, no weirder than any other serial killer. Am I and, right? And it had yeah. nothing to do with him being gay. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So, so maybe because they used uh, Orth's book as, as a the source, source material mm-hmm. that the homophobia kind of creeped in. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I never watched the American crime story. I, I love American um, crime story in general, because normally they do a pretty good job of at the I very like least the making OJ it entertaining. One. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. I watched it twice. I loved it so much. I'm yeah, not black. So I, was OJ. Ex- I was expecting the same kind of thing, but it, I, I remember watch, trying to watch it the first time and, and being pissed off. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went back to it this time thinking, well, maybe I was in a bad mood that day, but yeah, it pissed me off again. <laughs> <laughs> um what i do because i watched the trailer as to uh to wet my whistle right. on, on the research for this case and i was happy to see that the young man from glee um, oh yeah played andrew cunan and very handsome yeah ricky martin oh yeah he was really good some <laughs> of the, the and that's a shame it, it, that's the shame of it was that the, some of the acting was really good Aww. and so i it, it just it was annoying yeah okay i take <laughs> alert from them there you go today oh my gosh sorry that was so long but i had a lot of thoughts i'm so glad you did i i um i was bars okay uh motherfucking bars that's i can't i can't disagree with you at all um on your spicy hot take there um i agree with mostly all of what you said um one thing i wanted to just bring up was about the the fact that he was raised by a Filipino immigrant, uh-huh. I think, um, is an aspect, and to me, stood out um, because sometimes immigrants from black or brown countries do their best to assimilate and identify oh, yeah. with their white oppressors. Right. And there's this effort to earn your way to whiteness, or educate your way to whiteness, or dress your wow, way to whiteness, yeah. or lighten your skin, or straighten your hair, or whatever, to achieve whiteness. And um, those are things that white society treats with value. And with value comes safety and status. And there was, even with his dad, this constant chasing of status um and that might have a lot of different motivations for different people but in general i think you know we see famous people we see wealthy people and we want that um because they just look so comfortable and like safe yeah yeah i would love to be to feel comfortable and safe safe all the time yeah um so, so there's that. And then um, one source that I looked into had an interesting take, um, kind of like yours, but the, he uh, essentially said that uh, Kunan was like this Venn diagram of BPD, antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. Uh-huh. And there were specific details that precluded him from each one. Like one was the symptoms didn't manifest um Early yeah, enough that in his was childhood. Uh, antisocial personality disorder. Okay. One, of, one of the requirements is that they have to have some sort of a show signs co- show, at an early commit, age. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of exactly how it's phrased, but I can't remember. But like, commit crimes at an early age, or yeah. or get into trouble. At, mm-hmm. Like serious trouble at an early age, and and Kunanen, as far as we know, did not. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And then he like, he was kind of all over the map in terms of yeah. how, how he killed people and the reasons yeah. behind it. Yeah. That um, was really, really unusual. Unusual. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, he, he said in his high school yearbook that something in French, like fancy for like, I'm going out with a bang and boy, <laughs> oh boy, did he do that. Yeah. Golly gee whiz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's all I got. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's get into how not to get murdered. How not to get murdered. (laughs) So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Hey, we don't have any tips we this got week. Nothing. So we got <laughs> Yeah, the, the tip jar is empty. So send us your tips um, and uh, participate in this collective mission to keep us all in the true crime space safe. Yeah. Um, and now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about people of color, LGBTQ folks, any marginalized, oppressed, or other groups of folks, or any true crime goodies. Uh, two things. Just go to TikTok and look up hashtag true crime. There's so many content creators creating stories of stuff that I didn't even know oh, about. Wow. Like, there's a parrot who testified in a murder trial. What? <laughs> Yeah, because the parrot witnessed the murder. Oh, and was repeating the scene. And was repeating the scene. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And you just, you could scroll scroll for hours. Anyway, so hashtag (laughs) true crime on TikTok and TikTok. And also, someone they knew with Tamron Hall on Court TV. And it's about these murders. So Tamron Hall is a black um, journalist. She used to be on the Today Show, but now it's on Court TV. And it's about, it's just a really deep dive into true crime murders um, and all these people who ended up killing somebody, it's all somebody that you thought you knew. Wow. Uh, these people thought they knew. And it's uh, it's just really well done and uh, fascinating. I watched basically all six episodes today. It's it's old Whitey's birthday. Didn't even pay any attention to him. I mean, I wished him happy birthday, but I was really watching this show. Anyway, love you, old Whitey. What yeah, do you got happy there? birthday, old Whitey. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to shout out uh, Bad Gays Podcast. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Bad <this>? Gays. <laughs> okay. So oh, I'm it, it. I li- listened to their episode on Andrew Cunanan as part of my research. Tight. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Bad Gays is mm-hmm. a podcast about evil and complicated queers in history. And it's hosted by Hugh Lemmy and Ben Miller. And uh, it they're really smart. <laughs> yes. Oh. And, and interesting. And yes. uh, yeah, I really en- enjoy their podcast. So. Oh, my God. So you will be- learn lots and be fascinated yes. and wet your true crime whistle. I love it. Yeah. Oh, oh, and they, they also they called uh, Andrew Cunanan the evil twink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if 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 you go off of how they portrayed him in American <laughs> Crime Story, yep, yes, he was an evil twink. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that is hashtag True Crime on TikTok. Someone they knew with Tamron Hall on Court TV and the Bad Gays podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, yeah. 
Well, this has been fun, Beth. But that's it for today. Where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. True dat. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.